the real problem behind the lack of collaboration. We are not that that's not because they didn't know how to do it. That's not because they were not nice people. That was not because they wanted to they didn't want the success of the company. No, that was exactly their individual incentives. The system were driving their behavior, and their behavior was not to collaborate with others. Welcome to Dreams with Deadlines, a podcast about aligning strategy execution and promoting outcome-driven cultures. I'm your host, Jenny Harold, VP of Product Evangelism at GTM Hub. Hybrid work is an approach that designs the work experience for employees to work wherever they are most productive. Alexis shares how they're managing this new normal at Red Hat. Alexis is a master communicator and facilitator. He's facilitated many OKR setting sessions over the years and shares a technique called impact mapping. He also shares how individual incentives can be the real problem behind the lack of collaboration within teams. He provides an example where one can use an incentive structure to drive more collaborative behavior within sales teams. We cover a lot of ground here. Let's jump in. Share with us what a typical, if there is such a thing, a typical day uh, in your life as chief of staff for a really large organization out. If you're in engineering, you probably know what Red Hat is. Like, what does a day look like for you? It's it's difficult to find a typical day, and as of course days that are more interesting than than others. Usually, as a lot of chief of staff, you are, your your day to day depends really on what is coming, and uh, who is the owner of what. That's basically you. You are usually managing the things that have don't clear owner that don't fall clearly onto someone's uh, shoulder. And you're managing them not necessarily long term, but at least uh, enough so you can find a place for those things to be handled properly. Uh, mm. So the day to day is some, sometimes a little bit chaotic and uh, sometimes a little bit unpredictable. And that's also why I would like to to create some predictability and some sense of I perfectly know where we are going. I'm sure that all the organization is going in the same direction. And uh, I know why I'm doing all that. Because, yeah, the day-to-day sometimes is a bit too chaotic. Let's add a little bit more to that narrative. So we've been in a pandemic for a few years now. How has... Uh, you know, the past few years changed how Red Hat has operated. Like, have you have you been a kind of hybrid workforce before? Were you a remote organization? Like, what was kind of the construction and how has our experience globally affected how you all operate? Yeah, I, very good, very good question. When I was working with the OpenStack team, um, my belief were that or all organizations were operating like the OpenStack teams. And so we were really heavily distributed. Uh, the large majority of the people were remote. Uh, we were mm. spanning a lot of time zones, and there were teams that were spanning more than 12 hours. So I had the feeling that we perfectly knew how to operate this way. Uh, when I moved to more global engineering, I realized that it was not exactly the, the same uh, truth everywhere. So we mm. had teams that are yep, absolutely really distributed, composed mainly of, this, of people that are working remotely from home. And we have team that are, teams that are already co-located, already operating from a specific office. And so both truths are, are real in, the, in our environment. In engineering, 
still before the pandemic, of course, the 40% of the people were already operating remotely. So, 40%. Yeah. So that was already quite significant. And for mm -hmm. the others, uh, there's a lot of flexibility in our, in our organization. So th they were, for a lot of them, working from home at least one day a week. And they were picking that. Now, when I moved to, to EMEA and sales and services, I realized that that was absolutely not the same story. And um, there were a lot of people that when the pandemic hit, uh, were already struggling uh, because working from home was not really their thing. They needed an office, they needed a space, they did not have the space. They, that was really hard, just mm. working remotely. If you add to that, that suddenly our partner or their children were also in the same space, that was really hard. So there's a, there's a lot of colors to that story. Yes, we were operating in an hybrid way, but I think as an organization, we also learned a lot during that time because a lot of people were absolutely not used to that. As a leader on the Red Hat engineering leadership team, like what are some of the learnings that you personally have taken away from this experience that you can share with other leaders that are continuing to manage through this transition? Yeah, I think there's uh, there's one aspect is really being intentional. That's all mm -hmm. the things that you imagine in an office that are really great in an office. So you're coming to the office, uh, you have a nice kitchen, you have free food, free coffee, free whatever. But that's not really the point, right? You're not going to the office because there's free food and free coffee. But you are maybe going in the kitchen because you will bump into other people. And usually... Some people like to introduce themselves and to say hello, to ask a few things. And so you create connections that are random. Some people are not really at ease with that. But if there's some balance in the organization, you will have enough people that will ask <laughs> and connect. And that will help the others that are not so at ease with connection to connect. And so all those random connections that are happening in the hallway or in the kitchen or during events that are organized locally, those things are absolutely great. And I, it happened to me a lot of time when I was drawing things on my whiteboard or chatting with someone, uh, another person overheard what I was saying and say, oh, oh no, I have an idea about that. Uh, have you read that thing? Uh, have you seen that thing? Are you on that mailing list? Whatever. And suddenly I was making a new connection with other people. Mm -hmm. All those things don't happen when you work remotely. And you need to be already intentional about that because then uh, if there's no connection anymore, how do you develop your network? So if you're in sales, there's some chances that you already know how to develop your network, probably, because you would, you would probably not survive in sales. But if, you are, if, if your art is with other things, if you are not in those kind of function, if maybe you are a little bit, little, little bit less extrovert than others, uh, it may be something difficult. You don't know how to do it. And if there's no forcing functions, uh, it's hard. But to give you an example, I love going to conferences because I, uh, that's a good opportunity to learn about new ideas and to meet new people. But there's a condition. If I am a speaker at that conference, I love going. Because if I, have a, if I am a speaker, then people will try to reach out to me and to have a chat. So I have nothing to do. All the work is done because I am on the program and people maybe listen to my talk or have questions and, and then I'm making a lot of connections. If I'm not, 
suddenly it's a little bit harder for me. You can imagine the same things, but now online. There's no random things. Now you really need to connect with the people and ask them. So you need to build those things, to really intentionally build those connections. So there's a few a few things we did where we are, we are really interesting. Someone in the team um, launched the idea of uh, culture on a plate. Culture on a plate. And, it, when, and, and when I read that first, I said, culture on a plate. What, 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 what does, does that, that mean? mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I think our listeners are like, what is he talking about? That's, that, that was really an interesting idea because you mentioned a few things about you. And the system will pair you up with someone you don't know. So suddenly you have things that are popping up on your calendar and the system checks that you are available, of course. And that's crazy because, yeah, you, you are meeting with people from other parts of the organization. Exactly like when you are going to the office and you bump into someone in the elevator or, or whatever. And then you have a 30 minutes conversation and that's building the culture. And of course, it happened at lunch, during lunch. So that was the, the idea of culture and the play, because you share lunch. I never shared lunch, to be honest, because I was uncomfortable eating in front of the camera, but that was during that time. Will Red Hat, do you think, continue to operate more in this direction of uh, distributed teams where you uh, basically uh, like a work from anywhere kind of culture? Or do you... Uh, predict are you all driving toward a situation where uh, people will return kind of back to the office i i think there will be uh, there will be several things there we change a little bit the the rules of the game for the offices before you were either remote or either assigned to an office and usually when you were assigned to an office you had an assigned seat and so on we we changed that to offer people more uh, flexibility in that. So you are either remote, either assigned to an office with an, of, an assigned seat, or you are flexible. You're still assigned to an office, but you don't have an assigned desk. You come whatever you want. Uh, but we put in place a system so you can book a seat in the office when you want to go. And you book a seat according to your needs. There's people who want a, a, a standing desk, there's people who want flexibility with a desk that can adjust and they, they want their people who want to have one monitor, two monitors, whatever system you want. So when you book an, a, a space in the office, you book whatever you want. So we added that flexibility in the, in the, in the mix because yes, people, some people wanted to come back, but not necessarily wanted to come back to work at their desk. They usually wanted to come back to meet with other people. So you've spent time helping teams create OKRs. I think that's something that we had discussed before. Um, when, did you, what were, when did you start using OKRs professionally or even personally? Was this something that you had done in, uh, prior to Red Hat or is this something that was introduced when you came uh, to be a part of the engineering leadership team? Oh, yeah. I, I started... Um, a st I started a really long time ago uh, on my time scale. Uh, I think it's more than 10 years ago uh, when I set up my own uh, consulting and coaching firm. We were using that to help customers get clarity on their projects. You, you know, the, the, the usual thing that the people are trying to ex explain what they are trying to achieve. You're getting there as a consultant or a coach to help the team or 
And they are trying to explain what they are doing and you will realize that you don't understand at all what they are telling you. And you say, okay, I'm supposed to help them. And you realize when you are when you when you discuss with people that ah, if you discuss one-on-one and you're asking asking them, okay, oh, why do you exist? What are you doing? What is the most important thing right now? You realize that there's totally different answers. Sometimes it's because people are better communicators than others. Sometimes you really start to smell that there's a big misalignment there. And that's maybe why they have so much trouble working with each other. Usually I'm saying that I'm trying to facilitate successful collaborations. And people cannot collaborate if they don't know that they are working in the same direction. And each time that creates frictions when they are not. So that's the first thing that we were trying to use uh, a way to create some alignment and to create some focus also. To avoid that, uh, I remember one time that there was um, a team and um, uh, the overall plan was really clear that the overall idea, what they wanted to get in six months from now, that was really clear. But when I asked them, okay, and so what needs to be done? And I, I let them for one hour in that meeting room working on what needs to be done because I had something else to go to. (laughs) And when I came back, I was totally scared because there were post-its everywhere on the wall. They created, I don't know, 300 post-its not when I was was In one hour. Yeah, they were crazy. And there were things that I I could see that was really important. Uh, Like, uh, you know, the... The, the compliance uh, audit for the payment system, that's probably something that you want to do if you want to have subscription and online payment. That's absolutely true. Uh, but there were things that were, I didn't see the value on. And they looked at me and, uh, and they say, okay, now we have a problem. How can we prioritize all that? Alexis, there's no way they asked you that question. 300 sticky notes, they want you to help them prioritize. And you say, yeah, there's no way you can. Well, I mean, you could, of course, but that seems that seems mental. Yeah, that's like, crazy. Wh- why? Wh- why go through this exercise? Maybe 300 is, is an exaggeration, but the wall was entirely covered. And so we needed really a way to handle those kind of situations differently. We used a technique called uh, impact mapping from Goikoagic. And impact mapping is really interesting because then you don't want people to look at all the things that needs to be done, all the features, all the deliverables, all those things. You don't want them to work on that mm-hmm. yet. Because when they start working on that, they become attached to that. They become attached to the idea of what they want to do. And they try to advocate for that thing. They want that thing to be priority one. And if they can, they will create a priority zero to make sure that it will go above and then you are in trouble. And you need to remember priority is not a word that was meant to be used in the plural form. That was supposed Mm. to be one priority, not priority. Priorities. And priorities Mm -hmm. one and two and three. And what does that mean? So to do that, you need to work on the impact those things will create. So how do you define the impact? How How do you identify the impact? And that's why impact mapping is so cool. Let's talk about impact mapping and why it's so cool. Let's start with, well, 
what it is, because it sounds really cool. And I imagine not everybody who's listening to this podcast has maybe even been introduced to this technique. Can you describe the technique, uh, kind of really the basics? Yeah, the basic form of it, just picture in your head four columns. The first column is why. Simple, why? So we will use a simple example because that's easier to understand. So the why in, in our example is we want to have a fantastic picnic. Let's have a fantastic picnic. That's our why. With who? That's the second column. Second column is who? Who are the actors? So mm. we want to have a fantastic picnic with our partner, of course. That's really an important one. So now you want to identify in that column all the actors that can help achieve your why and all the ones that could prevent you to achieve your why. So if we want a fantastic picnic, one thing we don't want is mosquitoes. So th those are actors. They can prevent our fantastic picnic to happen. It will not be fantastic. Maybe we will have a picnic, but it will be awful. So we don't want them. So now we can see that we have two actors in our impact map. Of course, when you are working on your internal company or when you are working on a product or a service, you may have <laughs> more than two actors coming. But that's, for example, it will be enough. Let's pick the mosquitoes and let's look at the third column. The third column is how. How. That's the impact. That's what kind of behaviors we want the actors to adopt so that we can have our why. So what kind of behavior we want the mosquitoes to adopt so we can have a fantastic picnic? And the first thing is we don't want them to show up. That's a behavior. Right. We want, want them to be repelled. Please go away. Exactly. So that's one behavior. And if, you, if we look at the what, all the things we could do to that, that's maybe we need to fix that watering system so we avoid stagnant water that will grow our own mosquitoes. We can plant repulsive plants. We can buy some devices that are emitting high-frequency sound, really, really annoying for children, but adults cannot hear that anymore. And, <laughs> and that repel mosquitoes, that all those kind of things we can do. And that's the what. That's usually what people are trying to prioritize is the last stage of the impact map yeah. is the first thing that they're trying to focus on. Yeah. And so yeah. if we go back one level, maybe it's too late for us to do all those things. They will not be repelled. So at least if they come, now we know that we will not be able to manage the fact that they don't show up. If they come, at least we want them not to bite us. So that's the second behavior. And now this one becomes the one we want to prioritize. And the what could be off lotion. And they will not bite us. Good. We are safe. But you look at that, you look at the how. We now have two different how in that column for the mosquitoes. Either they don't show up or either they don't bite. Prioritizing those is much more easier than trying to have people that will argue about planting, the benefits of planting repulsive plants or the benefits of using all. Because you can find 1,000 things and people can be really creative about that. And that's usually the, where the power is. We don't know what, how to do it. We don't know how to do it, but we, want, we know the impact we want. So now the team can really be creative to find a way. So you've applied this technique 
for OKR creation. Did you do that with this particular group that had a wall full of, did you know this technique back then? Back, back then it was really painful because I didn't know the technique. We, we tried a lot of different ways to prioritize that. I, I have to admit, I gave them fake banknotes, uh, a few of them, and I told them, okay, now you need to buy those things. But uh, so I, I tried techniques to, to tell them, okay, <laughs> you, you have a limited amount of money, so now you need to buy the things you will be able to do. <laughs> That's the craziest things. I don't know if that's crazy. People say time is money and all those things will take time. So maybe there was a linkage in their mind. Interesting, though. But the, the, the problem is then they wanted to know, okay, but all those things don't have the same value because some okay. of them will be more painful. And now we were in, into an estimation of a lot too many things. So that was, that was really painful. At that time, I didn't know the technique that we will use. So we... we we took a lot of time. Now I would say, okay, uh, let's work together on who are really the people, who are there, and work on those personas. And now, what kind of behavior we want them to adopt so we achieve our why. And it's suddenly way easier to get to that. And if we look at OKRs, now our OKRs are really simple because the objective is the why that's easy to understand, and the, the key result is the, the how. So we have no mosquito bites at the picnic. That's a key result. I can measure it. I know when. I know the number. I know the target. Good. I think that's a, such an interesting way. I, I'm really excited to see teams actually pick up this technique. Let's talk about the measures, right? The what to measure is, is challenging for a lot of teams, in part because the connection between what you measure you and what you might have measurements on might differ, right? Like you may not always have a direct measure for whatever it is that you want to have that impact on. And so I think you've described it as having proxy measurements, yeah. right? Can you describe a little bit uh, about this notion of having proxy measurements and why it might be dangerous? Because we've been asked this before too, to have like one measure or like one proxy measure really everyone talks about the one metric that matters but i remember listening to you talk about this and you're like Tanya, there's a danger to doing this let's talk <laughs> about that so yeah that there's, there's two aspects of that so the we will cover both so the the proxy measure is is really interesting it's really powerful because usually it's something you can't measure sometimes it's more lagging indicator than a leading one, which could be dangerous because then you know what you can measure, but you will have the results only at the end of the year. That's probably not a good one. You would prefer to have a leading indicator because then you can measure it more often maybe than just at the end of the year and know that you are going in the right direction. So now... Let's assume you picked a leading indicator, not a lagging one, and you are really happy with your leading indicator because that's a good proxy measurement. Usually the proxy measurement will reflect the way you work today because that's something you already measure. That's also something you already know. So it reflects really the way you work today, which could be dangerous if you want to change the way you work. But let's assume it's good. That's where the, the kind of measurement that are, let's say, the number of calls you are making a day. 
it could be an indicator, a leading indicator of the business you will bring to the company. Okay, let's assume it's a good proxy measurement to that. You can see the danger probably coming there that people can cheat the system very easily and suddenly make 1,000 calls a day. But what does that mean? Maybe nothing. You, you need to be careful with that those proxy measures because your goal is not changing the metric. Your goal is getting on to the B of your change you want. So if you buy off lotions that doesn't work, you can put one liter of off lotion on you every day. It still doesn't work. You're still bitten by the mosquitoes. You don't have the behavior you wanted. Do you want to continue to increase the number, the, the volume of off lotion that you will spray on you? Probably not. So suddenly your proxy measurement is not good. And you probably need to find something else. So when you, when you define a proxy measure, you need to make sure that all people know that the goal is not the metric. Yes, that's, that's the only thing you can measure for now, but the goal is not the metric. You need to be clear on what is the behavioral change you want. And if you see that the proxy measure does not reflect any change, then probably it's time to retire that measure and change and find a new one. Do you have an example? I know you mentioned the off spray. Do you have like an example with maybe somebody from your teams where you're like, look, Jenny, like we know that this is the behavior that we wanted to go change. We measured this proxy metric and it was a leading indicator. So that was good. But then we realized, you know what? We need to retire this because it did not work out. Do you have a good example for us? I have one, but I, I can't share it. So, um, <laughs> but maybe we can look at what is the one measure that would be interesting. Let's do that. One time, one of my managers told me, and I, I was really proud of me. I uh, found I defined that there were four really main areas where we needed to to change something to have a real impact in the organization, and I try to define really four key results that will, that will be really great for that. And he looked at it and he told me, no, no, we can't do that. That's too many changes at the same time. I want us to focus on one thing. And I looked at my thing and I was, I was looking at that and I was saying, there's no way we can do that. And he came back to me and saying, okay, you, you have a product in your company, so you know how support works. So if I am a customer of yours, and let's just imagine that I don't know if you have a number, a phone number, or whatever, I'm calling you, and, and you don't know the answer to my question. And that means you will tell me that maybe you will call me back, and so on, and there will be back and forth, and that's really painful, and I will lose patience, and I will go to your competitor. So now you can guess what is the key result that he proposed. And he said, in 80% of the cases, we want the support. We want our customers to get the, the answer to their question in their first call 80% of the time. Ooh. And, uh, and I said, okay. And we discussed that. And we discussed that with the engineering leaders that were leading different products. And, and they said, oh, no, we, we can't do that. They said they can't do that. Yeah. And I was a little bit shocked that they could resist this way. I was in, in their answer were more subtle than that. They said, we cannot do that only engineering alone. We need to work with 
all the other functions to be able to achieve that. And I say, oh, okay, now I know. And that's exactly what they did. But it meant a lot of different changes. It meant changes in the product, it's in the products itself, because support needed to know what was the context. And when the customer were calling, if they were able to understand the context, they would be able to guide them to an answer more effectively. Yes. If they had no clue about the context, then customer will need to run diagnostics or explain the context once again. And, and so if you look at that simple thing, it had ramification everywhere because a lot of people needed to change their behavior. But they were suddenly all aligned behind one thing that was directly affecting a customer. And something really simple that, yeah, customer is calling you on the phone and, yeah, you will give the, fir the first answer you will give is their solution now. And that drove behavioral change in the whole organization. I think that's a really lovely example. It's something that I think a lot of businesses aspire to, honestly, because there is so much emphasis on customer obsession is what you all time, sometimes hear it or customer focus. And I think as a consumer or a customer, we feel it. Like we feel the disjointedness of an organization when we might have experienced having some sort of issue and maybe being passed around two, three, four times before you got frustrated uh, because they couldn't resolve whatever it is that you were trying to, to fix. Yeah, for sure. So this is an interesting segue, I think, into team incentivization because you have a really interesting perspective uh, and story, actually, about uh, incentivizing teams to work together. I think you shared an example with us once uh, about a sales team, but we'll, we'll start with why are you such a, a big advocate for team incentives? I think that's the first thing that we should probably touch on. When you talk to, you talk to folks in different disciplines, they'll tell you, yeah, but we should really focus on individual performance and driving individual performance. And Alexis, you're one of the first people who was like, oh no, let's talk about teams and how to help them work together better. Mm -hmm. Can you can you discuss why why you're a big advocate for team incentivization? Like why is that such a a topic for you? I bumped into so many issues trying to work trying to help people working with each other when the root cause were their individual incentives. Now, the the real problem behind the lack of collaboration were not that that's not because they didn't know how to do it. That's not because they were not nice people. That was not because they wanted to, they didn't want the success of the company. No, that was exactly their individual incentives. The system were driving their behavior and their behavior was not to collaborate with others. And that, that's was, that was something weird. That's you achieve your plan, you have your bonus and you will even have your accelerator and you're the star of the show. And there was one, one case, and that's why sales is, is so interesting. You start the company, you have a few people, the first salespeople, the ones that will stay at least, are the ones who are really making sales because they are staying because they have an impact and they are making sales so they earn money. That's right. pretty simple, right? And then you want to grow and so you want to hire more salespeople. But you are in a new field. That's a, that's a green field. So you, do, you cannot hire people that have experienced in your field because it's new. You basically have a new approach, you have a new product, a new service, so there's no experienced people in selling what you are selling. 
So there will necessarily be a ramp up, an, an onboarding that is necessary. Mm-hmm. So who are the best people to help? And usually you see sales manager trying to tell their best salespeople to help the newcomers. And the best salespeople are not them. So they say, yeah, of course, I could do that. So does that mean that you will reduce my quota for the next quarter? And the sales manager doesn't want that because, of course, uh, (laughs) losing on the quota of your best salespeople when you still need to grow is a problem. So you're trying to find other ways. So you cannot use your best salespeople to help the newcomers. So you are trying to hire people in sales enablement and trying to find the good ways to do it, creating trainings and so on. And it's low and it does not really work. And it seems that those best salespeople will still do 80% of the business and you have a team of 10. So basically, you have two people that are doing 80% of the business and you have eight people that are doing 20. Perfect. Pareto will be happy, except it's really not what you want. And we were exactly in that situation. And the best salespeople are really in a good position to negotiate that they will not help until we, I was able to convince one person to try an experiment. What if we were forming pods of three people, three salespersons, and what if they will be able to have a quota for their pod? Not individual quota, the quota for their pod. The, the founder of the company were telling me, no, 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 that will never work. And, uh, and, but we did it anyway, and uh, we, we tried something interesting there. Of course, the, they, were, they were in agreement if they were able to pick the people that will be in their pods. Makes sense. Then they hired people who were supplementing their skills. So the really good closers were not really worried about people that were closing things. They were worried about our knowledge or connections in a specific sector uh, because they were saying, ah, yeah, energy, it's really, it's really hot. I know nobody in energy. We need someone in energy. Uh, let's bring energy in our pod and, and we will cover that sector and we will do great. And so they were finding ways to work with each other and to supplementing the way they work. And it worked perfectly well. And of course, they were helping each other. And of course, the ramp up was two weeks and they were already running. That was not a problem. They were even taking PTOs during the closing. Uh, What is going on there? There's one guy on PTO during the closing of the quarter, and it's okay. And the two others were saying, yeah, we are covering, we are good. Uh, Anyway, now we know all the customers we are covering. We all know them. We all have met them. And so the customer, we are not discussing with one person. They were discussing with more than one. And the customer started to know why they were chatting with one or the other. They knew who was the primary for their account. But they knew the other people. And they were comfortable with that. And I was looking at that saying, okay, it's breaking everything I knew before. But it's working. Team incentives are working. They were designed in a way that they could onboard people, they could pick them, and they could increase their quota and they could increase their impact. The, the only problem was for us to set a quota that was really good because the problem is they were overachieving so much. The onboarding was so fast. So that was the problem. That was not some, someone is not working. Of course, I can imagine that if they were, if they are, if they happen to hire a slacker and someone who will not pull his weight, 
that would have not have lasted so long. We're coming up on time. I have a few more kind of quick fire questions to wrap everything up. Sound good? Yeah, of course. What's your dream with the deadline? If you have one, Alexis, the <laughs> deadline it is. What's your dream? I, I really strongly believe that people have the ability to have more impact than they think. And um, and sometimes we we look into increasing our impact in growing our technical skills. I mean, the, the skills we were trained for, the skills that are linked to our current role or things like that. And sometimes it, we need to look somewhere else to grow ourselves as adults, to grow some that would describe that as our leadership skills so we can really increase our impact. And I, I strongly believe that whatever your role, if you are an individual contributor or a manager, you should work on that. Because that will increase not only your impact, but also your satisfaction. And if you increase your impact and your ability to change the world in a better place, then I hope there will be more people to be able to tackle the, the big challenges that are facing humanity. I think that's a wonderful dream and hopefully inspiring other people. I know I'm inspired thinking about my impact and how to change the world in my own right. Very good. So... I read some of your blog and your first post for this year had to do with habits. And I was just really curious, what is the habit that you're trying to build this year? <laughs> there's a, there's a, there's two and they are really connected. And, uh, and so far I'm, 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 I'm really doing well. So I'm really happy to, to share. I'm, I'm meditating for, for, quite some time now, but I was not a really regular meditator. Mm. And, uh, and really now I want to make that into a daily practice and, and it's working. So I'm really happy with that because uh, I can feel the, I can feel the change in a way that is difficult to describe probably. Uh, so I would recommend to people, yeah, let's try that for 30 days. Yeah, 30 days, it's a lot, but try that for 30 days. You, you will feel it. In reality, you will feel it before 30 days, but I'm thinking uh, maybe if you really try 30 days, you will keep it forever. So it's another problem. The other thing is I'm trying to, to write in the morning uh, what I have on my mind. So that's a practice called the morning pages. It's, com it's coming from a book that is the artist's way. And I'm doing it since the beginning of the year. Sometimes it's not three pages. I'm shortening that a little bit because my agenda is not, not allowing me to do that. But usually it's three pages. And there's a... This is, this is really weird. Uh, by writing all what you have on your mind, uh, it can be really aspirational and really incredible. Or it can be really... It's nearly, oh, I need to buy the bread for, for, the, for lunch. No, that's, that, that could be really different levels. The, the clarity you gain when you do that is incredible. Mm. The creativity you, you, you free when you do that is incredible. There are things that I know how to do. I know perfectly well how to create a presentation and deliver a presentation. I, I really improved along the years to do that i i created a presentation i was thinking it's the first draft and 40 minutes later i had something that was really really good 
and I was even surprising myself. That's because I was I, I gained that level of clarity by removing from all those thoughts that are usually parasites, and I'm able to focus, and that's incredibly valuable and energizing. And so I would encourage people to do that. So that's the two habits I'm trying to really build into something that is regular. I think that's lovely. I, the imagery that comes to mind is like flossing your brain. <laughs> Just getting in the very depths of it. You're like, oh, there's junk in there. Ew. <laughs> and now and, it's clean. Yeah. And it's, it's really funny because that's, I am, you're not supposed to read them, so I, I don't really care about what is what is in it. But there's yeah, there's time that um, that's probably yeah, it's totally different level, totally different things about the past, the future, the present, whatever. Now that's great uh, kind of recommendations on daily practice. I think that's really neat. Last question. So you've been a practitioner with OKRs for a decade now. And I think that's pretty awesome for those who either are new to the journey or maybe restarting again, what would be your one piece of advice for them as they get going? I would, I would definitely work on my impact map. That's something you can do as an individual. You can do it for yourself. The cool thing with an impact map is it's something easy to discuss with other people. So even if you are doing it for yourself in your team, discuss with your peers in the team. And show them their, your impact map and discuss a little bit about that because they will have ideas. They will show you impact that you don't think, you didn't think about, and you will learn from that process and maybe you will find opportunities of collaboration. And that would be really my first step because once you have that, you pick the impact you think is the biggest and that's your key result. And you have one and you can focus on one. And maybe that's a good start. I would say so. Focus for sure and definitely alignment because you're talking with other people on it. So I think that's great. Well, Alexis, this has been pure joy today speaking with you about all these topics. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. That's it for this episode of Dreams with Deadlines. Thanks for listening. If you liked today's episode, please subscribe and share. Show notes can be found on gtmhub.com slash radio. If you want to learn more about our product and services, head out to gtmhub.com. If you have questions that you'd like answered on the show, shoot us an email at radio at gtmhub.com. Tune in next time.